This is most certainly true. The Lamb of God who was long foretold has come to be our sacrifice. Jesus offered himself and graciously shed his blood in our place so that we could be forgiven. And now we have the assurance of life and glory with him forever in heaven. Join us to look to the Lamb through this sermon recently delivered at Grace. From the book of Exodus chapter 17, it is the basis for the sermon today. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The job change seemed to be a great fit. No more demands for extra hours, a health care program with a lower deductible, a bump up in salary, what she did not anticipate at the new job was the cold shoulder that she received from the workers there, nor the mean-spirited supervisor who criticized her initiatives and cornered her with unwelcome, suggestive comments threatened and threatened her safety if she blew the whistle. That night, she got on her knees and prayed for Lord's help. And guidance. She did that again the next night and the next. But hearing no answer, she wondered, Lord, do you care? Massa and Meribah. The elderly gentleman had to agree with the family that he could no longer care for himself. He needed to be in a full time care facility, but once moved there, the bed sores, the long hours left alone, and the very few times the family ever visited made him wonder whether the Lord was still watching over him. Massa and Meribah. Her best friend knew her deepest dreams and crushes and then blabbed them all over social media, creating an avalanche, just an earthquake of embarrassment. How could she ever show her face in school again? Is anyone there who would still be a trusted friend? And for that matter, where was the Lord? 
when she needed him. Masa and Meribah. Sometimes troubles in life come from people and circumstances on the outside, but sometimes those troubles come from within, like when we get a reminder about past indiscretions or hurtful lip flapping that we did in the past, and then guilt presses down and weighs on us so heavily that all we seem to be able to do is put on a mask and go about our daily tasks with a smile on our face as if it's no big deal when all the while our conscience is whispering and sometimes shouting into our ear, you're the one, you blew it. Masa and Meribah. The empty water jug wasn't too hard to carry. It was the return trip back into town from the communal well that was a challenge. She got used to it, but it took all of her concentration once at the well to haul on the rope and bring that heavy thing up from deep in the well and then latch on with two hands to pour it into her water jug and then hoist her water jug up onto her shoulder to trudge back down the path to town. She knew before even arriving at the well that day that in minutes there would be sweat trickling down her brow under the noontime sun and she would have to kick her feet out with every step to avoid tripping on the hem of her robe or tripping on a rock. But her mind was set. She was laser-focused on the job and the task at hand to draw water from this well to take it back to her house. She didn't expect that there'd be a Jewish guy sitting at the well asking her for a drink of water. This was odd on a couple of levels. Since when did a Jewish person enter Samaritan territory in those days? Israelites considered Samaritans to be lower life forms. They didn't even travel in through Samaria, much less engage a Samaritan in conversation. But this one not only spoke to her, but on top of that, offered her special water that would, as he said, well up to eternal life. Sounded too good to be true. Sir, if you could make my life easier, I'm all ears. That's when Jesus shifted the focus of the conversation. Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the one you now live with is not your husband. There are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who are thirsty and are willing to admit it and those who are thirsty and want to ignore it. For much of her life, this woman had lived in the latter category, wanting to ignore any sense of spiritual thirst. But just like that, she had now been bumped into the former category. Just like that, she now sensed in the depths of her heart and soul and mind thirst for relief from the error of her ways, from her lifestyle, from her attitude, from her guilt. Masa 
and Meribah. Fifteen centuries before the woman met Jesus at the well, the Israelites were not living in the promised land. They were living in Egypt over 400 years there, and their status had changed from favored citizens to flogged slaves, building pyramids and storehouses for the Pharaoh under the hot Goshen sun. As bad as their situation was, though, they at least had access to water. The Nile River, at that time clear of pollutants and chemicals, flowed and then split into streams that irrigated the landscape where they lived. But the burden of the back-breaking labor forced on them by the king, who feared that their massive numbers would overtake his authority and used his military to enslave them and even ordered genocide, the systematic killing of baby boys, led these Israelites to plead to the Lord for rescue. God sent Moses to be the rescuer and to lead them out of Egypt. Miracles piled up, one on top of another. Ten plagues aimed at the Egyptian gods to expose them as frauds in front of the Israelite oppressors. Ten plagues. The river to blood, frogs, lice, flies, sick cattle, sick people, hail, locusts, darkness, and death. Ten plagues. All miracles. Then, when their escape route led them to have their backs up against the rocky shore of a raging sea, and the pounding hooves of charging chariots made them glance over their shoulders only to see the glint of sharpened blades. God parted the sea and they escaped to the other side without even getting their sandals wet. And when their three-day water supply ran out and the pool in front of them was putrid, God told Moses, throw in a log. The water turned to be perfectly pure. A month later, when their food supply ran out and they whined, we would rather die in Egypt than in this desert. God rained down food from heaven for them daily. You would think that with all these miracles demonstrating God's care and compassion for them, all these miracles that were evidence of him bearing them up and supporting them, especially the big miracle of rescuing them from slavery in Egypt, which is now in their rear-view mirror only two months or so. You would think that their lips would be uttering unending thanks and gratitude to God and their hearts would be filled with joy and confidence in God's care. But no. They camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord your God? They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And he called the place Massa, which means Testing, testing the Lord. And Meribah, which means quarreling, quarreling with God. He called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? 
They were in a stretch of wilderness. No oasis in sight. No rivers, no streams, no water. Lord, do you care? Massa and Meribah. What happened next is hard for us to get on the silver screen of our imagination. There's a saying, you can't, you can't squeeze blood out of a turnip. Well, you can't squeeze water out of a rock. Try it sometime. Pick up a dry, sun-dried, dusty rock. Approach a boulder. Grab it. Squeeze hard. Nothing. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there. I will stand there before you by the rock. Strike it and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. I recall a highway in Minnesota that had a little pull-off for cars and on the rock face along the hillside there was a pipe that had been driven into the rock face and spring water was flowing out of it. Crystal clear, pure, cool spring water. This was better. This was like a pin in a giant water balloon, only it didn't stop. Remember, this is water from a rock that's going to have to quench the cracked lips and parched thirst of over two million people. The Lord, the rock of their salvation, solved their Massa and Meribah, their quarreling and complaining and testing God and their thirst. The Lord solved their problem, the outside problem of thirst and their inside problem of spiritual thirst, their pitiable condition of being bone-dry, thirsty, but their even more pitiable condition of not trusting God, thirsty on the inside. The Lord solved that. The rock of salvation gushed out this water not only for their lips, but for their souls. This boggles the mind. Which was just like what happened to the Samaritan woman at the well. Where would she turn to have her spiritual thirst quenched? She muttered to Jesus, well, we know there's a Christ coming, some kind of rescuer or forgiver. And then Jesus looked at her and said, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. The rock of salvation solved her, Massa and Mary, but quenched her soul's thirst. This is just mind-boggling. It boggles the mind. What a joy it is to sing the Venite. What's that, you ask? Pastor, well, many of you actually know what the Venite is. A couple of times each year in our worship, we make use of a framework called morning praise. It's a worship framework that's been around for 18 centuries. And when Christians gathered many times during the week, they would want to hear from God in his word and then sing songs and pray, offer prayers and praises to God. One of the songs they regularly sang in morning praise was the Venite, that's a Latin word for the beginning of Psalm 95. We sang it earlier today. The format, we, O come, let us sing to the Lord. 
Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of uh, to the rock to the rock of our salvation. For he is our God, and we are his people and the sheep of his hand. We love to sing that. So joyful, so powerful, so comforting. But the shocker comes when we peel open our Bible to Psalm 95 and realize that the Venita chunk is only verses 1 to 7. What comes after that is we sang part of it. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me, though they had not, though they had seen what I did. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. And then we remember that we too complain and grumble and doubt and ask, Lord, are you there? Lord, do you care? Transporting ourselves back into the wilderness with those Israelites, back to the well with the Samaritan woman, creating in our own hearts and minds our own Massa and Meribah. Okay, maybe our behavior isn't as immoral as the Samaritan woman, but we still have those dirty thoughts and awful things that come out of our mouth and those hurtful words and ungodly patterns of action that we don't want anybody else to know, but God knows. And so we start out, well, I don't really feel spiritually thirsty. I think I'm okay. And then something smacks us upside the head and we realize that it's time to shift categories from those who are thirsty and want to ignore it into those who are thirsty and are willing to admit it. It's something that happens in our life when we realize that crawling in the dust of our sin and the wilderness of our own guilt, we are the ones who are guilty before God. And it might even be sins of omission, technical word for good things God wants us to do, but we just blow by them or don't even think about them. For example, we all understand and get it that online worship can be necessary when there's illness or a big snowstorm. But at what point does that shift into just mere convenience and avoiding the impact, the powerful impact that our hug, our smile, our presence makes on our fellow members? It's the moments when we realize that we are crawling in the dust of sin, in the wilderness of our guilt, and with sand in our mouth, we turn to our God and we have to admit, Lord, Lord, I've called you a liar. When I've asked, are you there? Do you care? I've created my own spiritual thirst, Lord. I have put myself in my own Massa and Meribah. And just then, the Lord's rock gushes with forgiveness. Promises of heaven. And solves our Massa and Meribah. He just fills us up with his love and mercy. He says, I know you're going to admit your sin. I can hear you cry out that you're spiritually thirsty. I am here to quench it forever so you can live with me. Doesn't your heart just want to burst out like water from a rock to join with King David to say and to sing, In you, O Lord, I've taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me into your hands. I commit my spirit. You can't squeeze water from a rock. But water comes from this one. Jesus 
solves our Masa and Meribah, quenches our spiritual and eternal thirst. This just boggles the mind. But I believe it. And I know you do too. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace, to support the work that we do to proclaim the love of Jesus in Milwaukee and around the world, and to find our schedule of special worship services, please visit www.gracedowntown.org today. And we'd love to have you join us for worship sometime soon. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.